You all doing okay? That's not very convincing, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, I, <clears throat> I'm so tempted to... Um, Tim, could I get just a bit more of this mic, please? I could spend um, the rest of our time together just telling stories about Des. Um, and I'm, I am trying to suppress the temptation, but I'm not doing very well. Some have already asked and have been asked, why, um, why have the arrangements been made the way they have? Uh, why was there a private burial? And why <coughs> then the memorial on Friday? First of all, it's the way the Evans family decided to do it, and that's all we need to know. And, um, <clears throat> but it was an interesting, and I, I, I tell the story, <clears throat> that it was about a month ago, um, I think it was roughly a month ago, when Des was at his last day at the hospital, and they began to get the news that um, time was drawing near. And uh, I was summoned to come <clears throat> to the hospital, and after one of our prayer services on a Sunday night, I drove to the hospital. And as I arrived, Anthony, their youngest son, was just leaving. And, um, and so we, he was bringing me up to date on what the doctors had said and what the reality was that we were facing. At that point, they were giving Des actually just a week to live. He, he far surpassed that, of course. Um, and then, uh, so, but I said to Anthony, I said, Anthony, you know, in all these years, I've never heard if there's any discussion about about a funeral plan for Des. And I said, so, you know, I said, I said, can I assume, is, is there a plan? And there was sort of a long, rather awkward, marginally uncomfortable, just staring at each other in the eyes. And I began to think, okay, I've crossed the line here or something. So finally he shook his head, yes, and he said, yes, there's a plan. And I quickly said, okay, that's all I need to know. Great, just know that Bethesda, um, We'll do any and everything we can. The doors are wide open. You, you, of course, know that. He says, yeah, I know that. And he began laying out what the plan was going to be as uh, we are now watching it unfold this week. So I went on and had a, a brief time with Des and Mary in the hospital. And, um, and then, um, uh, then I left to drive home, pondering the things that Anthony had told me. And it literally, it, it hit me like this, of course. Of course, why would it be any other way? And then I thought, Dan, if you think Pastor Des Evans was going to lie in a casket at the front of Bethesda Church while hundreds of people file by, then you learn nothing in your 42 years with him. <clears throat> now, that, here's the part of the brilliance and the wonderful nature of Pastor Des. That's fine for everyone else, really fine. Des had this amazing ability to uh, make place in his heart for other people and their own way of doing whatever they were going to do, but he had his own way of doing things. And so I thought he would never want that much attention given to him. In fact, he would be angry at me right now for giving him this much attention in the service. So, and those of you who have spent the decades with us know that if there is a conventional way of doing things that everybody else on the planet would probably do, and there is an unconventional way of doing things that very few people would do it, 
Which one do you think he's going to choose? Every time, every time. I don't think any of us have ever known a more humble man in our life. The way he exampled Jesus, the way he taught with humility. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I'm going too far here. Somebody stop me. I don't know if you noticed, but from the day he resigned uh, and exited the office of the senior pastor, which would have been the end of February 2011, he never stepped foot again behind this pulpit. Now, most would believe if he, when he preached, most, he was down here on the floor. That's because, it, yes, it was difficult for him to, you know, come up the stairs, and we know that. We didn't want to make that awkward, and we facilitated that, happily so. Um, but that wasn't Des's reason for not standing behind this pulpit. Des wanted to teach this congregation what he was exempling himself, and that is he was going to honor the office of the senior pastor. He had relinquished it. He had turned it over. He never held on to it as if it was his. He didn't do that. He example for everyone that I know in this country, every church leader that I know, how to relinquish a long-term pastorate. Very few pastors do that successfully, but Pastor Des sure did. I remember saying to him when, um, when it was looking like things were going to be that the music pastor was going to become the senior pastor. And he and I were having many discussions and many meetings about all of that. And I would say things to, to him like, but Des, I won't pastor the way you would, you've pastored because I'm not you. Nobody's you. We're, we're going to have to make sure the church knows that I'm not you. <laughs> and Becky's not Mary. And nobody can be who you all are. That's got to be really clear or this is not going to work at all. And I said, Des, I won't pastor. I have different rhythms. I have, I made up, my makeup is different. It's, it's different. And uh, I thought that would be enough to talk him out of it. And Des said, Don, I know that. I've known that for 33 years. Des was a big enough man that you could have a different philosophy. You might even have a different theology, a different way of viewing things, and he still made place in his heart for you. There was a place for you. He loved you because you were God's creation and you belonged to the Lord. That was the only basis that he needed to have relationship with you. And I so, so admire that because most of us, are the type that if somebody doesn't agree with us, we're ready to cut them off. If somebody doesn't think that we're right in our ways, then we, you know, we're ready to chop it off right there. But that was not Pastor Des. All right, I'm gonna stop telling stories. I could go on and on and on. Many of you have heard the full expression of the transition story back in, that took place in 2011, and it is a magnificent story, and maybe sometime I'll share it. But I'll probably do it at a prayer service on Sunday night. Maybe you all will come to prayer service for that. It's been mentioned a couple of times. But just know that we start our new Immerse Bible reading. Why are we starting it right now and not in January? Because the goal is to try to finish on or near 
uh, Holy Week, Resurrection Week. And this will still put us just after because Easter is early this year. It will put us just uh, after, at the, the week after Holy Week finishing. But tomorrow is when we start and you're going to enjoy this. If you haven't gotten your book, get it today. They still have them out there for $10, aren't they $10? I think so. So you need to get that. So what does somebody like me say to somebody like you on this day? With great sensitivity to the hour and moment that this congregation is facing, I want to give you a very brief, you know that's a relative term, brief pastoral message this morning on God's response to our grief. How God responds to our grief. And to do so, I want us to look at the fifth chapter of Mark because it was in reading the fifth chapter of Mark that I see two incredibly loving responses of Jesus to people who are grieving. We know that the scripture tells us that he is surely touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that he has borne our grief and he has carried our sorrow. And whether your sorrow and grief today is due to a physical condition a mental condition, a spiritual, relational situation, or as most of us, the loss of Pastor Des, our dear patriarch. And let us all be reminded this morning that we serve a faithful God. Whatever, whatever, however this day finds you, we serve a faithful God who is more than able to help us and to meet us at the point of our need. And that would be a great place for you to say amen. I am so thankful that Bethesda is a worshiping church. I'm so thankful that we sing with all of our hearts every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. There comes some moment in our time of worship where I quiet my own voice for just a minute or two, and it's because it's not because I'm not participating in worship, it's because I want to hear you sing. There is nothing more thrilling and heartwarming to me than to hear the church of the Lord Jesus lift their voice and magnify him. And I'm glad Bethesda is a worshiping church. But also we clearly honor the word of the Lord and we believe that when we're walking with him that God is faithful to give us true manna and a fresh word from heaven. Is there an amen to that today? So look with me at Mark, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to begin in the 22nd verse. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hand on her. Heal her so she can live. And we read that Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, or we know it as the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. What we see in our text here this morning, Bethesda, are two different people, each with their own situation but both of them are in a state of grief. 
And this passage gives us a wonderful glimpse as to how Jesus responds to grieving hearts, whatever the cause. First is Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, which is the city where Jesus performed most of his miracles. It has been said this is the same synagogue synagogue where a man's withered hand was healed, according to Mark chapter 3. There's also record of it in Matthew and Luke. Jairus was most assuredly there in Capernaum when the throngs came to see Jesus from all around, and he saw that demons were cast out and people were healed. But evidently, the healing of the withered hand was not enough to draw Jairus to Christ. In fact, Jairus would have been part of the group who had witnessed many mighty miracles, and yet he was not changed by them at all. The fact is this, Jairus came to Christ driven by grief, overcome by grief. And we see him pleading fervently with the Lord, saying, Master, would you just come with me? Please just come with me. My daughter is at the point of death. Grief for his daughter is what drove him to Christ, and it was not witnessing powerful miracles. And it could well be that it had it not been for his daughter and her condition, that Jairus would have never come to Christ. In fact, I also want to say this, it's entirely possible that the daughter herself knew Jesus because all the children seem to know the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's possible that she said to her, to her daddy, Daddy, would you go find Jesus? Bring him here. He, he'll be able to heal me. He'll make me right. He'll make things right. And I find that interesting because right here on our own campus, just on the other side of that wall right there is our Bethesda Child Development Center. And I learned about a year ago of a precious little student, a young lady, a young girl in our child development center that her parents did not attend church. They were not part of any church as I, as I understand it. And they may even be here this morning. I don't know. But she went home because she had learned in our child development center that there's a, a Jesus who loves her, who had died for her, who wanted to save her. And she took that message home and started with saying, Mom and Daddy, when we eat our meal, we need to pray and thank the Lord for our food. And I want you to know, because of a little girl who was in this child development center, her mom and dad are now attending church and part of Bethesda Church. That is an amazing thing. That could have been what happened with Jairus' daughter. She knew Jesus, and she was telling her daddy, Daddy, go get him. There had to be many others in the crowd that day just watching Jairus as he was pressing through the crowd to get to Jesus. There was a big crowd, lots of stuff going on. And they see that when he gets there, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Falls at the feet of Jesus. Why is that so amazing? It's amazing because he belongs to an institution that was mocking Christ and would have him killed. It's amazing because he belonged to an institution who would rather see Christ dead than alive. But here we see a ruler of the synagogue bowing at the feet of Jesus. The risk for him was enormous because he could have been kicked out of the synagogue, could have lost his job. His circle of friends and influences would have come to an end. And I think we all know, and many of you have experienced, there is always a cost when you come to Jesus. It does affect your friends. It does affect your social group. It does affect the way you move within your lifestyle. And that is why many will not come to Christ. And can you imagine the disciples saying to Jesus when they saw Jairus, him, go, him going uh, with Jairus, 
Why would you go with him? He didn't come to you when you were performing mighty miracles. He didn't want you when times were good and all was well in his life. And now he wants you because of his grief. He wants you because he has no other option. Can I just say this to you today? Bethesda is happy. In fact, Bethesda is more than happy to introduce you to Jesus when you have run out of all other options. We don't mind a bit if you come here as your last option. When you've tried everything else, when you have done everything else to get your life in order and try to get things fixed and nothing has worked, we will gladly be the last option church, and that's perfectly okay with us. Are you with me this morning, Bethesda? Jairus is desperate, and the people are following to see what would happen. We see from our text that Jesus went with him because Jesus responded responding to the pain that he saw and the grief that he saw in this man. I always know that there may be some here this morning who are listening to me now, that up to now you've not given much thought or much time to Jesus. It's always surprising to me who makes it through the doors of this room. I, I, just last week, I, even when I was, had given an invitation, I saw the hand of a man sitting up in this part of the balcony that was very, very clear. But there was another hand that was raised that I did not see. And a lady, uh, another dear lady of our fellowship, did see the hand of this woman. And she came to me. She was, I, I want to accept Christ today. I have had the distinct joy and pleasure in these last, in the, the last four or five weeks of leading at least six or seven people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it has been, if you will pardon this term, I'm not sure I even like this term. It's been like, well, let me say it the way Dr. Marty said. She says it better than I do. It's fish jumping into the boat. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like low-hanging fruit on the tree, but I like hers better. It's fish jumping into the boat. Literally, people coming to me. I had one gentleman come to me just almost shaking my shoulders saying, what must I do to be saved? I have got to know Jesus. That's why it's so important, dear ones, dear believers, that we're always telling people about the Lord Jesus. Don't assume everybody in your world knows Christ. Don't assume everybody around you has it all together. Or if nothing else, even if it looks like they have it all together, has been the case in one situation for me recently. Everything going on in that person's life looked absolutely wonderful, but there was no peace inside. Because you can have everything the world has to offer, but if you don't have Jesus, you're missing all of it. If you don't, in fact, I was, I was up in the attic of our home this week digging out some old, Becky has kept some old children's books from when our kids were children. We were getting them out for our grandbabies. And I was up digging around that, and I also found an old box of sheet music. And there's a song in there called Give Me Jesus, and it caught my eye. And I suddenly remembered that song. And it's that so many songs, once I see them, it just, it, it, it stirs something within my heart. Take away my worldly gain, take away everything, but give me Jesus. Whatever it is that you think is satisfying your life, whatever you think it is that you have, that whatever it is that you have invested yourself in, I'm here to tell you again this morning, the only answer to salvation, the only answer to satisfaction in life is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one way. Maybe you've not given much thought to Christ at all. Maybe you've not thought of forsaking all to follow him to be his disciple. 
But maybe you're in this room this morning because you've been driven here by a particular need. That's okay. In fact, I'm going to say it to you this way. Whether you realize it or not, you're seated in this place miraculously by the Holy Spirit. You may not even know why you're here today. I hear that from time to time. I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know why I'm here. You are here. I believe the Holy Spirit is so capable of guiding you and directing you and getting your car to turn right in this parking lot and getting you in this room to hear the gospel. I believe our God can do that. I believe he loves you enough to pursue you that hard to get you in the right place at the right time. And I want you to know the Lord is here by his Holy Spirit to meet, not only to meet your need, but he's also here feeling the pain and grief that you bear. And you can forget, absolutely forget every rejection you have ever made of him. You may say, Dan, but I've, I've turned, I've rejected him. I've, I have mocked, I have, you can forget about all that. You may even be a part of society like Jairus that mocks Christ in Christianity. But I want you to know this morning, you can step out of that place because the Holy Spirit wants to minister Christ to your need, literally this morning. He wants to minister to you, to the pain and to the grief that you're feeling, whatever that pain and grief is. Let me give you another glimpse of God's heart for grieving people, only this is from the Old Testament. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon about David counting. David learned how not to count, that it was displeasing to the Lord. Even when David sinned against the Lord by numbering the people, and 70,000 members of the military died of a plague, and the death angel was standing over the city of Jerusalem about to destroy the city as he had been commanded to do, but God looked at this broken-hearted man, David, who had sinned. He had murdered a man. He had committed adultery, and his sin had cost 70,000 lives, but God looks at David and he sees terror in his heart. He sees fear in his heart. He sees grief upon him. And when God sees grief in the heart of David and David cries out to God, oh God, I'm the one. Judge me. Judge me. And here's what the scripture tells us, Bethesda, that when the angel of the Lord was about to stretch out his hand to Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord said to that angel, stop. That's enough. Stop your hand right now. Why? Because God's heart responds every time to the cry of a heart that is grieving, whatever the reason is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we learn from the psalmist in Psalm 106 that he remembered, God remembered his covenant with them. And he relented. No, we're not going to destroy them. Why? Because he saw a heart that was grieving, a heart that was hurting. No, we will not. Because of God's unfailing love. And his love drove him to pull back his decision. This is a picture of the heart of God when he sees grief in you. Today our grief is for the loss of our dear patriarch. But I want to remind you, church, please hear this. Even in times of grief, I'm going to say especially in times of grief, it is even more critical that you come to the house of the Lord and that you come to praise and glorify the name of Jesus. And that means lifting your hands and clapping your hands and lifting your voice and doing what you know to do to cast every other thing aside and focus on Jesus as Lord. And you might say to me, oh, but that's being fake and phony, isn't it? Because I don't feel that. Since when was it about how you feel? 
You might say that's being fake or phony, to which I would say, no, 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 it's not. That's the sign of a truly mature believer who has learned the reality of the importance of worship even in their time of grief. What's the importance of worship in the time of grief? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. There's a release that God gives you through the Holy Ghost as you respond to the presence of the Lord and glorify Him. Something will take place within you as you lift your hands. It may be a sacrifice of praise for you. As you lift your hands, as you lift your voice, God provides something for you inside, even for a heart that's broken and a heart that's grieving. But I see something in our text that we should notice as we begin to move toward the second person of our text. Jairus was overwhelmed by the burden of his sick daughter when he asked Jesus to come with him. And they began walking together. But when you start walking with Jesus, I know the seasoned believers in this room are going to say amen to this, but I'm telling you who are new believers, I need, to, I need to let you know this. When you start walking with Jesus and you hear his voice and you are in lockstep with him, you have to know there will be delays. There will be delays. I promise. And that's exactly what we saw happening to Jairus. Jairus was at the point of utter hopelessness. He was at the place of his last option. No more options for him. He's been on his face, and now he's walking with Jesus, but then a delay happens regarding his prayer, and his hopes are dashed to the ground as calamity is about to strike at home. And here's what's going to happen to him. Hmm. He's going to be surrounded by miracles happening to others while he's not getting his. The miracle for Jairus is delayed because Jesus is responding to yet another desperate person who has just touched him. Which brings us to the second person from our text. Second person with her own situation, which we read about. It's the story of the woman who had the chronic issue of blood, chronic hemorrhaging. For 12 years, she had been to every doctor, to every specialist, to everyone she thought could help her. And some of you have been in that routine, I happen to know, where you go from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor and you end up telling the same story over, here's my story, over and over and over and over again. And though there's not much they can do, they make their promises, each one does, and then you have to go back because that didn't work, and then on and on and on you go. That's what happened to this woman with the issue of blood. And the Bible tells us she has spent all of her money on physicians and none could heal her of her disease. In fact, the Bible goes on to say it was getting worse. It wasn't getting better. It was getting worse every day. But she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus realized that power or virtue had gone out from him. And when he asked who had touched him, here's what we saw happening. She came back trembling and fell at his feet. Now, you see, what she was supposed to do when she went into public places she was supposed to shout out that she was unclean, as was the case under the law. She was not to touch any clean thing, and certainly she was touching that which was clean when she touched the Lord Jesus. Give me just a moment to 
speak to those of you who feel you are unclean. Because I know there are some in this house today. First of all, I want you to know you've come to a clean place for Jesus is here. Under the law, you would be condemned. But under Christ, in this day of grace, the Holy Spirit does the work within you. And if you're willing to be honest before the Lord and not have a hardened heart, then right now the Holy Spirit is doing something within you and His work within you in very much the same way as the woman who came with the issue of blood. You may have a bleeding heart in this place today, and you know there is something unclean. It may be something that you've battled with for many years, maybe even more than the 12 years of her battle. No one has to call you unclean because it's what your conscience tells you you are. And you want to be clean, but you, you wonder how you'll make up for your past. And you might say, Pastor Dan, you, you really don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You don't know how difficult it is for me to even sleep at night. Yeah. And you feel like you're bleeding and you have no hope. I want you to know this church doesn't care how much you've sinned. This pastor, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me or how much you've done wrong. Because if your heart is bleeding... You've come to the right place, because here's what I'll say about this place. The doctor is in. And the woman who had been healed by touching the hem of his garment came trembling before him. She fell to her knees, and she told him all that she had done. But don't forget about Jairus. Don't forget that Jairus is standing by trying to get Jesus to come to his house, and every moment counted. He's watching all this take place with the woman with the issue of blood, knowing that every moment mattered with his daughter. And let's all be reminded that you could have fallen before Jesus, made your petition known, had the reassurance that God had heard your prayer and he's answering your prayer, but there might be a delay. Many of you know what it is to have prayed and the answer has not come because there's a delay. No wonder Jairus is wringing his hands and becoming anxious because the woman who had been healed of her hemorrhaging was, according to the Scripture, telling Jesus all. And how many of you know when a woman has decided to tell all, it's going to take a while? <laughs> I'm sure that won me some brownie points with the ladies just now. Merry Christmas. But can't you just see Jairus looking over the crowd toward the path that leads to his house to see if there are any messengers coming? Why? Why would Jesus have delayed? I think there's two possible reasons. First, he truly wanted to relieve the woman of her sense of defilement. And he wanted to publicly, publicly remove her reproach and to heal her. But secondly, I think Jesus was also dealing with the impatience of Jairus. I think Jesus was also doing everything he could to build the faith of Jairus. So finally, a group of men came from the home of Jairus and said, Don't bother the master. Your daughter has already died. Just, it, it's all over. But Jesus overheard their comments and he said this, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Church, it is entirely possible, please hear me this morning, to be so consumed by our own needs that we can't stop and rejoice 
when we see others being healed and blessed. Very possible. But I also want you to know sometimes this is how the Lord deals with us in our grief and our sorrow. By allowing us to see others being blessed and the favor of God being poured out upon them. To remind you and me that God is also capable of pouring out his favor upon us. Listen, God knows how desperate your situation is. He knew all about the condition of the daughter of Jairus. There's nothing hidden to him. But he was wanting the faith of Jairus to be enlarged and expanded. So whenever you're seeing others around you being healed, and your healing has not yet come, or others are getting answers to their prayer and you don't seem to be getting yours, then I, I just want to encourage you this morning that the Lord might be saying to you, you just need to wait a little longer. I see your need. I have my eye on you, but the timing is in my hands. It was as if Jesus seemed to be saying to Jairus, you know what? This woman started having her issue 12 years ago, just about the time your little daughter was born. You've had 12 years of enjoyment with your daughter. All the while, this entire time, this woman has dealt with her infirmity. The whole life of your child. And by the way, this is the same woman who is not allowed in the synagogue over which you are the leader. You should always remember Jesus can be healing a thousand people around you and still have his eye on you. I know you're focused on your pain. I know you're focused on your issue. But just because it appears you're experiencing a delay or just because others are getting the favor of God when you are not does not mean that God does not have his eye on you. Church, though our hearts are grieving today as a church, let's hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to us. And that is this, God knows all about our grief, all about our pain. But God is our Emmanuel. He's the one who is with us. He's the one who is going to keep going with us from this point forward. Somebody say amen. And he's coming to give us faith to believe in him. Faith to believe that the, our best days lie ahead in the name of Jesus. And you and, Eden, you and I need to know that right here, today, in 2019, we have something that Jairus did not have and the woman with the issue of blood did not have. They did not have the abiding Holy Spirit. They did not have the comforter living within them. They didn't have the promise of God that we possess. We have something that no other generation had, and that is the abiding Holy Spirit who comes to comfort us in our time of sorrow and grief. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But there's just one thing more. Jairus now comes to the place where he has to look death in the face. He comes to that moment that, in fact, we are facing today as a fellowship. It's when you go into a confused room when there's doubt and fear on all sides and people are saying, oh, there's no use. There's no use. Leave the master alone. Can't you just picture the wife of Jairus falling in his arms saying, where, where have you been? 
What's taking so long? It's, it's too late. And why, why, why did you bring Jesus with you? And outside the door, the paid minstrels are playing the flute and loudly mourning and wailing. And Jesus tells them that the girl is simply sleeping and they laugh him to scorn. Scripture tells us all this. But Jesus walks in the room where the little girl is, looking death right in the face. And there are times when you walk into the house of confusion with death and terror looking you in the face. But there is a word from God for you when that moment comes. And it's the word we need to hear today. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Bethesda, those must be the words that are quickened to our hearts today by the Holy Spirit. And it's the words that we must repeat to each other over and over again. In the face of death, in the face of hopelessness, in the face of despair, do not be afraid. Only believe. Because church, let's be honest about it. God has brought us through every crisis. He's brought us through every challenging situation. God has been faithful to us, Bethesda. I could take you back over the 83 years, 84 years of the history of this church. Do you know in 84 years, I'm only the sixth pastor of this church. Des was number five. That's because there have been people who have been willing to stay the course and to go ride the crest of the wave on the good days when the wind was filling our sails and on the days we had to get out the oars and row for everything that we're worth. And in the midst of all of that, our testimony is this. God has been faithful. And we've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word, and he's never failed us yet. So Bethesda, the word to us today is simply this. Do not be afraid. Just believe. We may have to say then, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Well, that's fine, because the Holy Spirit has promised to be our helper. Then, Lord, you're going to have to put your faith in me. That's fine, because he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Yes, there is a time to cry and a time to laugh, according to Ecclesiastes. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance, but God will be with us through it all. And oh, how Jesus responds to the heart that is grieving. It's not just that he responds, but it's how he responds. And can I just say, we're talking about the one who breathed the stars into place. We're talking about the one who spun the galaxies into existence and who hung every one of the planets on nothing. And he is the one who rides on the wings of the wind. That's who's going to respond to our hearts this morning. And let our faith be enlarged to constantly be asking ourselves this question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Which that can also be translated according to the Hebrew, not only hard for the Lord, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? So let our focus be on the majesty and the glory of our great God. That's how we're going to look. That's the direction we're going to look as we go forward. And if we fall down, we're going to get up with our face toward the Lord Jesus. And we're going to make a commitment that we're going to follow him. I think it was probably 20 years. I'm not going to do it now, Pastor Brent. About 20 years that Des ended every service with, I have decided to follow Jesus. Because that was ultimately the focus of every message. 
Our focus is going to be on the majesty and the glory of God. It's what Pastor Des taught us for decades. Because the truth is, God has never failed us one time. We've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. You may think God has failed you. You may think God has not answered your prayer. But I can tell you the answer is on its way according to his timing and his perfect will for you. And from the moment you prayed, from the moment you lifted your heart to the Lord, God began to do something in you in the realm of the supernatural. And he's not going to forsake you. He's not going to forsake us, Bethesda. Hills may shake. Mountains may fall into the sea. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But he cannot be shaken. His church cannot be shaken. His people cannot be shaken. There are some things that cannot be shaken. And I want you to know, I've heard the voice of the Lord say to me, Dan, your destiny and the destiny of Bethesda Church is in no one's hands but mine. Your destiny and my destiny, Bethesda, has nothing to do with the economy. Our destiny has nothing to do with who's in the White House. Our destiny has nothing to do with the Congress or any world leader. We are not in the hands of the situations around us. We are in the loving hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has written us in the palm of his hand. Stand to your feet, please. For God who made you, God who made me, God who made all things, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. He is still the sovereign Lord, and we belong to him. We belong to him. Is there an amen in the house today? I want you to put your hands together and just give the Lord glory and honor and praise. Someone lift a hallelujah. Hallelujah.